0: Welcome to Redefining Dementia. I'm Ashley King. And I'm Daphne Noonan. Thank you for joining us. We are your co-hosts as well as the co-founders of Person-Centered Universe, where we help you provide person-centered dementia care at home, at work, or in your community. Through the Redefining Dementia podcast, we are striving toward a better world for those affected by dementia by sharing resources and insights from experts around the world.
1: When consuming resources or media about dementia, the focus is often on the challenges, stigma, and fear that may accompany a diagnosis of dementia. This podcast seeks to shift that narrative to focus on and celebrate living well with dementia and what that means for caregivers. Through the sharing of stories, resources, and helpful life experiences, we hope to provide you with helpful and meaningful takeaways for your journey ahead. A special note before we
0: begin, this information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only. If you or someone you know is experiencing symptoms of dementia, we encourage you to seek medical advice from a qualified healthcare professional.
1: Welcome to part two of our conversation with Maury Voise-Barlin, we look forward to sharing more of our wonderful discussion with Maury as he shares personal stories and insights from his rich experience of providing meaningful engagement for persons living with dementia. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode as much as we have.
2: If we're if we're going to do this person centered or relationship centered, as I like to talk about uh, the way I work, if we're going to do this, we need to really live it, and we know that if those around us that are working don't believe it then they won't walk it mm-hmm. so we really need to bring people on and I think that's where yes. aged care as an industry as a sector here I don't know about in your part of the world but it needs to do better you know okay. it's a very cold rigid system it's fairly thankless there's a ticking clock and people the demands they years ago they took they took two people's jobs and made them into one it was a great idea to save money and they did it again about 15 years ago and now we're doing the job of four people um and so you know we've got this absurd situation where people that are looking after our elders in what i think bill thomas calls it the citadel of protection we've got these people that we're torturing that are Mm -hmm. meant to be looking they're being and they're they're being drained of all their their love and their energy and there's a capacity. There's a real yeah, and there's a moral injury yes, to uh, members of staff that that aren't able to look and connect with someone for fear that they might engage and then they their mate say hurry up Mori I need you for the two person lift down here let's go. Sorry, I'm I'm digressing a bit but I I I do really believe very strongly in creatives. Whether you're just whether you're a performer walking in to perform or whether you're a creative there to engage and do that you have to think of it as a community and interact with everyone
1: yeah okay so i have a so i'm going to ask a practical question so it it's probably oh. going to be um Uh-oh. feel free to I'll, just tell have us- another, I'll have another drink <laughs> in whatever path you want to take us down, but I guess, yeah. so I kind of have two practical questions in mind, but one is, I guess that so we've been so much like kind of jumped right in. I feel like I've known you forever and we've, we've just met a <laughs> um, 45 minutes ago, but um, I guess when we, when you think about someone who hears about your work. So let's say it's another, like a volunteer or somebody um, who's just like in the situation you were in, just kind of looking for their next path and like maybe has, you know, a bit of a desire to kind of explore um, working in long-term care in one, one way or another. What exactly do you do as a, you know, Mm. framework that you work within? And I think you kind of shared with us a little bit before the call about the kind of different pillars of like what you sort of structure your work around um, in terms of the approach. And then also part two to that question might be, how would a person, is there anywhere they could go to like learn how to Mm. own that craft or do they just have to kind of make it up and like you did and, you know, forge your way, uh, your, your, your own way with it?
2: Yeah, that's wow. That's, there's a lot of stuff there, isn't there? Um, (laughs) so just to answer the last part first, maybe I was gifted an opportunity to learn this craft, this work, be exposed to this work and presented a, a leadership role where I was able to go and experiment and play with, you know, what we were working with. And then, I felt that I knew how it could be, I I felt I knew how it could be better. I really did. I felt that there was was a misguidance towards slapstick and, and the clown hangover. And I thought it was more relational. And I thought we needed to be more closely aligned with the clinical team. So as I started to think about that and I became an independent, I was able to develop that. I think that actors particularly, I mean, I've seen musicians do this work and performers, but I think actors and particularly street performers who've worked in the street, you know, in an interactive mm-hmm. sense, improvisation, I think that there's a real scope there for people to learn the work. I'm at a, I'm at a bit of a, a crossroads now because I'm 61 and I can't do this forever and I've mentored, I've tried to mentor four people, two of which are continuing. I'm, I'm mentoring a young 17-year-old person who's a music person and goes to a, a school for people that don't fit into the school system and she's come such a long way but I also mentored an old theater buddy of mine down in Wollongong which is a city about three hours south here so she's doing the work and she's now working in, in aged care as a creative engagement specialist the other two that were here in my t- hometown they didn't work out because they have real desires to be actors you know so so It's very difficult because they they loved the work, but they really wanted to focus on acting. So it's a real dilemma how to get people into this kind of work, but there's nowhere really to go, mm-hmm. but if anyone's out there and wants to know, I'm happy to help and share mm-hmm. stuff there's a there's public there's a guy. what's his name? Evan, what is your name? Oh, Evan Evan is doing some work south of you in America somewhere, i, I I'll think of his name or maybe we can post it and people can contact him. I know that he's got Mm. performative skills, but I mean, I'm happy to share what I do. I I don't, I don't hold IP. It's not my thing and it's probably to my detriment, (laughs) but um, I think that people can do this work and they need, and you just begin. I think you need to be educated around dementia. I think you need to understand and start to begin to look at dementia. And I think a good place to start apart from, this online courses here, the U- university of Tasmania does a brilliant online course, which is about the mechanics of dementia, but looking at the Eden alternative. And and, and I, I'm a big fan of Alan Power, Dr. Alan Power and mm. Bill Thomas and, yeah. and Jane Verity, uh, her work as mm. well. And looking at their mm. frameworks and reading the book, dementia beyond drugs is a great mm. start. And I think starting to understand that. And then I think really you learn on the job. I mean, I, I'm reluctant yeah. to say that because you need training, but I don't know how, the other side of the world i would i would do that for people but you know there's always the opportunity to to i'd like to see get a group of people together that are interested in it and then have a, a like a presentation or a forum and talk about about ways of doing it sorry does that answer the question or does uh, that talk it around does. it
1: it does no um so i it absolutely does and it, it does seem like it's the kind of thing where you're pioneering it right so i i asked that question for that reason because i know there's going to be so many probably so many of our listeners are going to be um you know curious as to like how how did that happen and um but then the other the question was like about stress. Oh, i will
2: help i will help people yeah. if like, people want yeah. to do it yeah. i will help and and it may be that i need to do something and then charge if there's ongoing later support mm-hmm. but yes. initially i would i would be happy to help i would love to see look It's self-motivating because if people, more people do this, it makes me stronger. Do do you know what I mean? Like it's in my Mm -hmm. interest to see this work. If if I think purely selfishly, it's in my interest to see this work live, you know.
1: And so, forgive me for being presumptuous, but I've already decided that we are going to talk like we're going to do something yeah. together. Right.
2: <laughs> okay. yeah. I love your presumptions.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> so, so let's just uh, put that out there right now. Um, but no, so you sent us um, a little note and you talked about the different steps like, where oh, you yes, heard, like, harvesting history, mm. um, heard and ra- so those elements of the work, um, it really it is a process, right? Like, even though,
3: yeah, like, you
1: know, much of it is learning on the job and like kind of uh, we always use the analogy like build the plane while you're flying it Mm. (laughs) you
3: know oh
2: (laughs) that's great yeah
1: but Mm. you know you do like there is sort of a method to the madness like from what you shared with us about the way that you approach, there is yeah
2: there is um look you have to be you use the word master you have to be masterful with with Mm. your with your talents you know you have to really think and and that's what an actor does An actor is strategically building you know this is why I think actors um you know you're your true actor that's interested in the craft as opposed to fame and if you if you want to be famous, that's okay too, but you know the the craft of acting is a very disciplined form, and I hadn't realized that until I began this work to be honest with you, so my engagement framework i've set up i've gone back and looked at what i do and I used to use the in alternatives domains of well being. That's initial, and I still refer to that because I think yep. that's absolutely brilliant. And Jane Verity, I like Jane Verity's. Um, what is it? The un- emotional unmet needs. There, there's one that I particularly mm-hmm. like of hers. We need to give love and receive love, and I like that because mm-hmm. we think of elders, we think about giving them love. We don't think about them giving us love, mm-hmm. and that is a reciprocal thing. You know, like otherwise they become a consumer. Yes. It's a two way transaction. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah um to go back to my framework so I just got I developed this idea of well, what is it I try to do and I have this engagement framework which I'm happy to share and and, you know I'm sharing now so I talk about harvesting history so obviously I'm I've I've got a story which I will share with you about harvesting history because I think it's a good one uh, and I'll, I'll use that in a minute but so harvesting history is going back and looking for clues it's really looking at, at a person's history and, and, and I'll give you the story of Reggie Tub in a minute. And we'll talk, come back to harvesting history, but you need to know about this person as we've talked about Dorothy and the wedding dresses and the seamstress and then where that goes and she wears my ring. Then when I, when I get some history and some knowledge around a person, it may be very little, even if I just know where they're from, I can start something knowing someone's favorite color or their favorite song, or whether they're a widow or kids, it's not always everything, but it sometimes it can work, but you need to really know something. And sometimes you discover it. So what I then want to establish is their preferred interaction style. So, you know, I, I have a thing that's called mutual mischief with Barry. I, I mentioned Barry earlier. He loves to be naughty and mischievous. He He would, he would not thrive in an environment if he can't do that. So I create opportunities for him to be mischief and, I'll come in and go, Oh, you're mad. What, how, what does your wife put up with it? I'll say, I don't know. Let's ask her. (laughs) We'd email her Mm -hmm. and she'd email back. And so I would create those opportunities for mischief. I I want to create a situation where when I walk into the space, the elders go, "Uh Oh, here he comes. It's like the naughty nephews arrived. But then for some, it's not about that. For some it's about validation and Mm -hmm. sitting with them and just being with them. Um, It's not about mischief or cheekiness at all. Mm -hmm. And then for others, it's about whatever the interest... I have a woman who loves a particular team called Parramatta. It's a rugby league. We play rugby league here. And and so she has a very strong link to a few of the players. And gradually, there are pictures of the different players, the legendary players going up on a wall that I bring in for her. And so it's about her interest in this team that she really loves. And so I'm trying to find out, you know, what is their style of interaction? They like to be cheeky. They're like respect do they like to hammer me and put me down or do they like it when I uh, go on the attack and so I'm trying to establish how I'm going to interact with them and mm-hmm. then I'm going to look at now what does this person need does this person need novel or routine interventions mm-hmm. so novel well let's talk about routine so Davo and mm-hmm. my friend Davo once said to me I can't remember things I don't know I'd say who's I wonder I never say remember I wonder who this guy is in this picture I don't know I don't know I can't remember anything and he panicked. So I thought, okay. Mm-hmm. So one day I said to him, see if you can remember this. And I ran out of the room and I came back in with a fly swatter and I gave it to him. And then I went, oh. And then I ran back out. I came back in. I had a fly swatter. Then I went, oh, hang on. Then I ran back out and I came with a balloon. I blew it up. And then we started to smash it. Uh. <laughs> and I did the same thing every week. Davo, see if you can remember this. I ran out. I got the flights, sw- yeah. The very same thing. Every single week I did the same thing. And then I started to build on it where I would get his walker, and I'd move it back. I'd give him three balls, juggling balls in the basket. And I'd hold the basket open of his walker and he'd try and throw it in.
1: Aww, mm. that's
2: amazing. And I did the so same then, thing. Yeah. I built on that. Yeah. And one day mm. I went past and I think he got help, but it didn't matter. He was there. Mm. And I, I used to go and give him a five minute one and go, g'day Dave, I'll be there soon. As I went past, <laughs> and he held up the fly so he says, I'm ready. <laughs> that's amazing. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Now, Perfect. you know, you can look at all the yeah. dementia books you want to, and it'll tell you that he could not form a new memory. How he formed that new memory, no one will ever know. But mm. he did. Um, anyway, so that's that's routine. So for Deva that was really important. Whereas right. with my friend Barry, everything needs to be novel. It need I need to provide things that are unexpected mm. for him. Mm. So I'm deciding like, does this need to be novel or routine, or does it start with routine and then branch out to novel. I might Mm -hmm. use music, right? So I might use, for Barry, I would often, particularly now as his decline sets in, I use Sweet Caroline, Neil Dimes. Sorry, Neil, I hope you don't mind. Um, (laughs) Sweet Caroline, he loves belting that out. So I'll often start with that now so that we can begin a session or I bring that in halfway through. So so that's where the novel or the routine comes in. I'm deciding on what the intervention is going to be. And then there's a thing I called indirect and direct. So, so Barry's very direct, you know, like Dorothy's very direct. I'm, just, I'm in there, it's direct, there's no pussyfooting around. But I had one guy called Jimmy who reached forward with his head, stuck it in mm. my face and said, F off. <laughs> and I went, oh, okay. And just as I was processing that and going, right, suck it up, back off, apologize, he did it again. He said, I said, F off. And I pulled right away. I'm sorry, man. He said, yes, get away from me. And, and I was like, I'm very sorry. So the team said, Oh, we're really sorry about that. Yeah. We'll take him off this. No, no, no. You can't take him off the list. I have to break through. I have to find a way he needs me. And um, they said, but how are you going to do that? I said, I don't know. Let me think about it, but I have to offer him choice. And they're going, yeah, well, good luck with that. Um. So this is the important thing is like, you've got to find a way to break through this kind of person that's rejecting all offers while still maintaining and giving choice so i came up with this idea of which i call satelliting so every day i said who's that guy over there and i said that's stan i said does stan always sit next to jimmy there they said every day stan goes there and jimmy sits there i said can you ensure that that's always the way they're seated every time i come in sure we can do that can you take notes i want you to note every time jimmy looks forward sits forward smiles grimaces whatever he does. And so I would go up to, and I read, I harvested my history. And mm. I remembered that Jimmy said, and I'm looking for parenthesis. When people put rabbit ears, I call it, and they say, I like to, I like the song, my boomerang won't come back because it reminds me of sitting around the fire and drinking tinnies with my mates, tinnies <laughs> being tins of beer. So that was, so that meant that he'd said that, right? Yes. So I knew the song, my boomerang won't come back. It's Kind of like a bit awkward and a bit racist. But anyway, mm-hmm. it was a one of those fun songs. So I learned all the fun songs of that era, you know, Timey Kangaroo Down, Sport" and yes. Um Mile Man's a Dustman, mm-hmm. all these novel mm-hmm. songs. And Jimmy loved a dirty joke. So I had a string of dirty jokes I looked up. Dirty jokes aren't my forte. They weren't my forte. <laughs> and every day I'd go up to Stan. I'd go, hey, Stan, hey, Stan, I've got a song for you. And I'd play him one of the novelty songs. And my lifestyle buddy would be writing down Jimmy's responses, and I would totally ignore Jimmy. He was sitting over there. I wouldn't look at him. And I'd talk to Stan. They'd go, Hey, Stan, you want it? I've got a joke for you. It's a bit dirty. You okay with that? He'd go, Yeah, yeah, yeah. i tell him a dirty joke. And I did it for eight weeks. I ignored Jimmy. I went up to Stan. I sang yeah. the songs, different ones, told him a dirty joke. And then my lifestyle partner was saying, He's really looking forward. He was leaning forward. He was laughing, smiling. And I went, Yep, yep. Okay, good. So gradually he was coming in. And so I'm satelliting around him. I'm going around him. And finally, I had this one joke, which I will never tell anybody. It's a disgusting <laughs> joke, but it's a cracker if you like that kind of thing. And it's from my brother. My brother knows some really terrible, jo- awful jokes. And I, I will never <laughs> repeat this joke. You'll never get out of me. But I, I sang a song and I said to Stan, hey, I've got a, I've got a joke for you. It's pretty rough. I'm telling him the joke and Jim, I could feel Jimmy leaning forward. I could see it. I could I could sense it. And just as I got to the punchline, I turned to Jimmy and I delivered it right down the barrel of his eyes. And, well, he just cracked up. He looked at me, looked at Stan. We looked at each other. We laughed. And then I burst into um, the um, my boomerang won't come back. My boomerang won't come back. And I started to sing the song to him. And we become great mates after that, um, you know, almost every week there was a couple he'd say not up to it um but i I, would be able to get really close to him i I got pictures of an old ford a 1964 ford falcon i think he had which i got for him for his wall and i got a photo of him we're looking through a i took him in a dog recipe book like an actual recipes for dogs which he (laughs) found really offensive he was really angry about it and we were bagging (laughs) that out so yeah. that's satelliting, where you work around somebody, to intentionally draw them in, doing everything they like, but with somebody else that also approves of it. So there's two beneficiaries there.
3: Yeah. So oh, the
2: final one, so that's what I call satelliting. So that's indirect. That's an indirect way of working. Um, and that's probably the best, exa- the most profound example I have of that. And then I look at what I call delicious invitation. So when someone someone is sitting in grief and loneliness have this protective shield up and it's the way Mm. they perceive the world They're they're perceiving they they, they become cynical and they 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 doubt people and 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 at this vivek murthy the surgeon general under obama wrote a beautiful book he has got a book about loneliness and he says that when when we are at our most lonely is the moment when we push people away when Mm. we need them the most that's what we do Mm. and i i got to thinking about that and um my thing is getting into the room where others can't. That's, that's what I pride myself on being able to do. So to do that, my view is, is that if you're going to get into a room, people, if you go into someone say, would you like to see the funny guy? Do you want to see Maury? Would you like to come and join us today? I've got a song for you. No, I don't. I, I don't want that. Um, people learn, you know, how to self isolate their, they, their skills become quite as well established and, and complex. And, and, and so, you can't get in the room. So if you're going to get in there, you've got to make the invitation so compelling. You've got to make it Mm. so interesting that you cannot resist it. It has to be kind of delicious. I call it now. I mean, you know, (laughs) the term delicious is probably extreme, but I use, I like the term. So, you know, I will have these pictures and I've got pictures of my baby grandson who's like rolls of fat looks like the Michelin man. And he's got this hat on the beautiful photograph of my, my grandson, which I used on on Harold once, and um, and and so it feels intrusive when you go into someone's room that's self isolating and they are rejecting. Oh, you feel like you're going to intrude, but somehow we've got to break through there while still offering choice. So I will use, you know, I will use the picture. Let me just quickly, um, hold, hold it, hold that thought, and um, oh, here we go this so I walk in and I'll I'll knock and I go hey uh, so this is a good one um Rod hey Rod you were talking about the fashions in your day are you are you sure that's a kind of a cool fashion and so you know they're kind of looking at you like oh what do you what is it and then they look at it and if you get close enough they'll look at it and then what you're hoping for is you go is this is this really what you wore when you were young mm-hmm. and then what you're looking for is them to take the photo and look at it.
3: And before you know
2: it, you're there. Yes. And you can see they're interested. They've picked it up. They've got it. And you've got to get that right, which is why you've got to harvest the history. Mm-hmm. You've really got to understand. Now, you might be skirting around and trying to figure out what the preferred interaction style is. That takes time. Can you oh. see that? Yeah. Like, you know, you've just got to, you've got, yeah. and really simple images, you know, one, two people. Oh, here's another. <laughs> uh, me and my wife at our wedding. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's two monkeys we need we need to tell the listeners that yeah uh, yeah, two monkeys in wedding uh (laughs) male in a wedding suit and a bride in the uh, lovely bridal gown um so so you're looking at trying to entice people into Mm -hmm. engagement with something that compels them to come into it and then start the process there and start to okay right I see where the buttons are how long to spend in here so that's the kind of process for that. Do you want to, I, I, I'll talk about Reggie tub in a minute. I'll come back to that, but is there anything that, cause I've, I've talked a lot. I've been very conscious that I'm talking a lot here. Okay. I love
3: it. I, you know, I just, one thought that I did have is do you adapt these approaches based on where someone is at on their dementia journey? Like oh, how, yes. how do you adapt that?
2: Yeah. Well, that's such a great question, actually. So like so if they were
1: it, earlier right if they were earlier earlier stage yeah. like say maybe still living at mm-hmm. home or something like that would, would there yeah. be
2: that that would be you know if we look at someone that is maybe bed bound, mm-hmm. let's say they're mm-hmm. bedbound and their word finding is very limited they don't mm-hmm. use phrases then I'm going to probably take a stab maybe at some music mm-hmm. of their mm-hmm. of their generation of their era yeah. and try and think what era might that be there's a beautiful did you know the work of dan cohen but he did with music oh, and memory? Yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 i know yeah i yeah. i i love dan dearly yeah. and i got to meet him when he came here to australia and we talked and like dan's now still advocating for, for music but his music and memory the legacy of that was wonderful because he talks about the golden years you know when you're between 16 mm. and 25 you not, not for everybody but generally mm. that's where the juicy stuff is for individualized music now I've I've got limited uh, I'm not a musician but I play the ukulele but and so you know I've got I've got quite a big repertoire now but I, I, I've got a limit to what I can play but you know I'm trying I, I discovered with one woman called Denise that um, she liked the song raindrops keep falling on my head and it was only through experimenting with her so she couldn't communicate verbally at all she mm. used well she used sounds but it was mostly my lifestyle buddy would hold a hand and hand squeezes would be it. And sometimes she would nod, but she, I could tell when she just looked right down the barrel of my eyes and you, you can feel that connected eye contact when it's really genuinely connected. Mm -hmm. And so I would use music more often with people further down their journey of dementia, but then I would branch to my grandson photo and see if visual photos work. So I've got a woman called Laurel that I see often and have been seeing for a number of years, who used to play the piano accordion and music is really in her body and she really is activated now she's quite she's not very communicative so much now it's mostly just a look and raised eyebrows um and and sometimes there's a comical look on her face when she mm. something amuses her but I use a lot of photos of my grandchildren uh with her and she will look at them and she'll raise her eyes and I think that kids and animals are quite powerful if you get the animal right, you know, dogs, cats, mm-hmm. some people hate cats. Mm-hmm. And I think for Laurel, because she wrote a book about the native species of flowers in her area. You know, I know, I know that is, This is a native flower here in Australia. I know that she's very interested in a lot of the native flowers around grevilleas and, and wattles. So I might use items like that, But but with someone further down the journey of dementia, we often kind of talk to them about things like they talk to them about their fern house or, mm-hmm. or ferns and it's conceptual at that mm-hmm. level so i like to bring real ferns in yes. or pictures you know like that's why i use the pictures and i i found it really effective and and of course there are some people that can't kind of the perception uh, or, or if someone's got mm. some visual uh perception issues or is vision impaired that that's problematic that doesn't work but generally speaking i'm working with someone that can can kind of see what i'm showing them but i then think it might be also the tone Mm -hmm. that i use i use a tone of familiarity i speak like i know people Mm -hmm. and i use their name and i say oh someone said to me once um do i know you and it just came out of my mouth and i use it all the time Mm now i said well i think i know you your name's Betty right and I'm Maury. I'm pretty sure we've met but I can't quite recall where but I do know that you like this song and I'll play and you know you Mm -hmm. kind of move forward and move through it and and I think it's the tone of familiarity that really strikes it's it's Mm -hmm. kind of you see the inauthenticity when a lot of our team members who are working really hard and fast they use the word sweetheart and lovey and they say oh hello lovey how are and it's kind of doesn't sit or, or or ring through and i and i i think it would be good if people could understand or hear themselves because when you use tones of familiarity it's very i think it's comforting you feel safe you feel i know you i don't know why and there's this is saying and i guess we've all heard it people might not remember who you are or your name but they will remember how you make them feel and that's why i use the bowler hat and the and the the bow tie just like a bad old entertainer and it's kind of like that, you know, Bud Abbott and Luke Costello, um, Charlie Chaplin-esque, you know, bad, reeks of a bad entertainer. So some people see me coming, they go, oh, no, they know it's <laughs> going to be bad jokes, mischief. They, you know, if the context is provided or they kind of get a sense of it. And mm. I remember once telling some people jokes and them laughing and some not laughing. And I got better at doing it, and and you know those old ones like Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. There's one that I do all the time. Hey, look at that bunch of cows over there. Not a bunch, a herd. A herd of what? Herd of cows. Of course, I've heard of cows. No, no, you yeah. idiot. A cow herd. So what if a cow herd? I got no secrets from a cow. And I, I might give that to my buddy, and I'll get them to to read off mm. and say, are oh, they going to help me? To a, com- a a comedy act mm-hmm. and people say oh but they don't understand it and I said but yeah, but that's not the point the point is is that they know the rhythm or the pattern of it mm-hmm.
3: and they're laughing
2: and so they feel mm-hmm. like they're actually participating and they may yeah. not comprehend exactly what happened they go, yeah. oh he's terrible I remember one guy say he's terrible now yeah. <laughs> he, he may or may not I mean you know who do we who are we to say that they didn't get it
3: mm-hmm.
2: anyway I've mm-hmm. majorly digressed with that but um exactly no, I it's perfect, actually. I, I, yeah. I really do do you think that it's important for people to feel safe? That's the primary thing that I want people to feel, particularly when they're sitting in grief and sitting in loneliness. I did want to mention the story of Reggie tub Have we got time?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think probably tell us that story of Reggie, and then uh, we have one question that we always like to ask everyone who's who does the
2: podcast kind of at the conclusion, so we'll mm. ask you okay. we yeah um. So, harvesting history. So, I met this guy. I was asked to see this fellow, and we'll call him Reggie Tubb. Well, that's what I called him. And basically, what happened was basically, what happened was he had a very traumatic experience prior to coming to this aged care service. And then he was brought in, in under very traumatic circumstances, unfortunately. And then he sat and he, um, he was what they called a challenging elder. A term I don't like to use at all, because yeah. uh, that's kind of a star-focused term, isn't it? I call it a term of nuisance. <laughs> Wandering term of nuisance. BPSD term of nuisance. All terms of nuisance. staff focused reporting. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I apologise to anyone that reports like that. Um, <laughs> and uh, well, I don't. But um, the the thing was is that I said, okay, tell me about tell me about Reggie Tub, and they said, oh yeah, he's um he's aggressive, uh, he's non-compliant. And he uh, he's angry. Mm -hmm. That's really helpful. And this (laughs) is from a lifestyle person who was really turned out to be a really great person, but yes, their perception of this man, they were a bit lost. They're a bit scared, a bit fearful. It was, Mm -hmm. he was really difficult. So he had this upper body strength and agility. Uh, He was non-ambulance. So he's in a wheelchair, but he he could really move. So I said, okay, tell me a bit more about him. Oh, he'll hit you. I said, okay, can we go back to his file? Can I have a look at his file? Oh, yeah, I, I said it's okay. We've signed a confidential Like, just let me have a look at it. So I went and saw it. There was three things written down. So I do my talks are always based on what are the three. Actually, I ask you, if you couldn't communicate tomorrow, if tomorrow you could no longer communicate, what three things? Don't tell me what they are. You can tell me later. What three things do you want people to know about you? Mm-hmm. What are those three things? And are they going to be enough? Mm-hmm. So yeah, right, You can come back on that one. So. I, I, so this is part of the presentation I do. Anyway, so I went to Reggie's file, and there was three things. He was from a town called Junee, a town I know. It's in just southern New South Wales, an old sheep-shearing kind of town, beautiful old streets with Victorian, oh really long, we call them Victorian. That's the Queen Victoria era, awnings, and a beautiful town with a lovely courthouse. And then it said in, in parenthesis, what I love, he used to get on the wallaby track or something, right? So I know that the wallaby track, you know what a kangaroo is, right? Well, a wallaby mm-hmm. is a small kangaroo. It's a different kind of species of kangaroo. And they leave a little trail. They, hop a, they, they follow a trail and, they, and that trail gets worn like a little walking path, but it's a really narrow one. Well, this is what itinerant workers would do uh, in, during the Depression and, and, post, and, and, and war, in wartime and post-war. Uh, and so a lot of itinerant workers would walk the wallaby track And as they walk, they might sing. So I knew a few songs like Road to Gundagai. These are Australian songs. uh, And and Click Go the Shears, Mm. which is a shearing song. But the the key thing was is that they said he was a butcher. Now, a butcher could have also been an itinerant worker butchering at different properties. But the thing about a butcher is, I just happen to know this. I don't know why I know this, but I just happen to know stuff. Butchers have a backwards speak where they turn the words backwards to talk about meat in front of the customers. So Reggie Tub is butcher backwards and Tub clat is butcher talk so
3: uh-huh. you just
2: turn the word backwards and they would use yeah. this to talk about things in front of uh customers and in the 70s i don't know about you but I, when i was a kid i thought butchers were really flirtatious and i thought why is that butcher flirting with my mum and yeah. they'd say things like do gels which is good legs <laughs> so you know so there's this language this secret clan language they used to use and i wrote down a whole bunch of stuff backwards and I don't have this piece of paper. It really upsets me that I don't have it. I wrote down a whole bunch of words backwards, ending on Reggie Tubb. And I went into the room and I said, I need really to let this settle. And when I went into the room, there was Reggie Tubb sitting in the chair, looking forward and down with this awful colour, grey colour, you know, cortisol pumping around his body. And he was in this really turgid, it looked like turmoil in his face. And his eyes were hard. And and I just thought, oh my God, he looks like he's really in an awful, awful place. And so I approached him, and then I started to speak, and I started to say backwards, "Hey Reggie Tub, how are you?" And I, I said it backwards, or right? I had it written down so I could pronounce it. And then I'd say, and then I let it sit, and then I'd say, "Hey Reggie Tub, what are you doing?" Mm, nothing, sat there, left it for ah oh, maybe you know ten seconds, twenty seconds. Hey Reggie Tub. What have you got on today? And then I could start to see something happening. And then I, I said a few more things. And then finally, as he started to – his face sort of changed a bit. I spoke forwards and I said, hey, Reggie Tubb, how are you? And he turned and he looked up at me and he said, all right, how's you? And, and then there was this little pain in my arm. <laughs> that was my lifestyle partner squeezing the crappers out of my arm. And she said, He's talking. I said, yeah, yeah, wow. And so um, I said, I'm all right. How's about you? And he goes, yeah, I'm all right. And I said, they t- tell me you're from Juneau. So I start, I get down on my knees. So I'm down on my knees now. I, I've got a little stool I use and I get down below people's eyeline. And he said, yes, have you been there? And I said, no, but I've got a tea towel from there. He said, oh, let's have a look. I haven't got this here, but I'll bring it in next week. It's got the courthouse on it. And he smiled. And I went, do you know the courthouse? And he says, I know the courthouse very well. <laughs> There was humour and um, I, I spoke to him a little bit more using the word Reggie Tub at the end of every sentence and I, I had the ukulele which I had draped over my back and I just pulled it to the front but I just was staying about that far away from him so that he couldn't hit me mm. and um, he looked at it. When he looked at it, I said, hey, Reggie Tub, I've got a song for you. He said, oh, what do you got? I said, Road to Gundagai, Click Go the Shears and he said, Road to Gundagai, thanks. And so I went... <laughs> There's a track winding back to an old-fashioned shack along the road to Gundy. Yeah, guy. So on it goes. So I'm playing this song and he's he's twaddling his head and tapping his hand. And I was like, where wow. and the, the look on his face, the color came back to his uh came back to his face. And and I thought about, I can't remember, is it dopamine now when you when you look and you connect with people? the hormone dopamine increases in your body. And whenever mm. you have these increases in all of any of the love hormones, that cortisol drops. And what we want to do is get caught. Corti- we want to get rid of cortisol. Mm. It's a terrible hormone. It's mm. a bad drug. It's mm. the heroin of the hormones. Yes. And, um, <laughs> and, and so I, I said, I, you know, Hey, Richard, I'd like to come and see you next time. I'll bring the tea towel. Yeah. Okay. Mm. And I don't remember if I shook his hand or not. That's always my aim is to try and get there, but I felt safe, and so word went around the the service really quickly. And the manager wanted to talk to me and ask about this magic, and I said, "Oh, it's not magic at all. I just tapped into a part of his brain um, that had been locked away. It's called Reggie Tubclat. It's back." And I explained what it was, and I said, "And like, if I could sh- say anything, I think that if you're if you could forget calling him by his name or, or Mister So and So, just call him Reggie Tub, because he relates to that. And this is why." And tell your team, like, really, and particularly mm. staff from um, non-Western countries, you know, like, tell them it's okay to do this. This is what you want them to do. And if anyone can sing that song or hum it, he, it'll probably help. And and what happened was was that it demystified him because mm-hmm. other people go, look, wow, look at that. Mm-hmm. And other residents would watch when I was with him. And we would, uh, nine times out of ten, I would start, I would use, I would use Road to Gun, the Guy to start, and then we'd talk. My butcher Gave us a a Cape Grim hat. Cape Grim is a Tasmania. It's got a cow in the front, and we'd pop that on him, and we'd sing songs. I bring in photos of cuts of meat from my butcher, and and so it changed. It changed him, and it it changed me. That story changed Mm me. I I realised the power of what I was doing. I mean, that's probably the most significant breakthrough I've had. I I I think Jimmy the satelliteing one was another good one, but. That profound experience made me realize the power of what was achievable by knowing how to putting stuff together and harvesting history and just putting it together and going, what can I do? Someone once said to me, a lifestyle person said to me, I can ask the questions you ask, but I can't do what you do with the answers.
3: Mm-hmm. And it was such
2: a profound I'm so I said to her, I'm so glad you said that because that's really got me thinking because I would really love to be able to share what to do with the answers. And that's the key. It's what you do with the answers that really counts, Mm. I think. Anyway, I just—I really did want to tell you that story. A lot of my colleagues are bored with that story; they've heard it so many times. But for me, it says everything about routine. Was what I used with Richie Tub preferred interaction style? It was a knockabout mateship kind of. Hey, yeah, what do you do? You know, like just talking to him like a another uh, bloke. It was direct, and uh, the Mm. invitation, I guess, must have been delicious.
3: No, you can't oh, knock
2: really. you can't knock back that song if you know red the Gundagai and it's not a song of your <laughs> culture it's a great song it's just tugs at the heartstrings
1: mm. i have uh well have to, i'll save it for another day but i have a really yeah. magic story of um because oh. this won't be the last time we talk so but
2: no, I, exactly.
1: a, a good one remind me next time uh this is your homework i'll tell you the story about my I, magic wait, story i'll have to write it down <laughs> yeah with waltzing matilda <laughs> with waltzing matilda and one of my oh. Australian residents. Yeah. We'll yeah, I you.
3: think you know what's so amazing is for any of us who have had a breakthrough like that, you never forget that story. No, you know those stories, those feelings, those emotions that are all tied into that experience. Yeah. Thank you, for oh taking us on that journey. It's
2: really no, but you're right. It is. It is so true that I, I always used to remind my, my colleagues, you know, like you've got stories like this, guys. You know, write mm. them down, like share yeah. them, tell them. Real or or draw them, whatever, because you know. All my we all have, we all have good stories, you know. And it's and it's by sharing them and how we got there that inspires others. You know, that's that's what I think we need to do.
3: And that's it, and taking the time to sit in with them, like enjoy that story, appreciate what you've Mm. been able to do for somebody. Don't go so fast that it just you breeze through it and you forget what you've done or you're not registering what you've done
2: that, so, that's what's good about reporting because it's like reflective yeah. practice you know like yeah. I have to report what I do and so that's one of the beauties of something I introduced mm. to my work rather than just writing a few lines we used mm-hmm. to write on paper I, I used to get on the computer systems and and tell them oh yeah you know this is how we report and they'd let me do it so like I just started doing it and um figuring out what language yeah you know, like using words activated by Laurel was Laurel um, uh, participated in a one on one room visit session with a positive outward experiences observed. Um, she was readily activated by the song, you know, Waltzing Matilda. This mm-hmm. was expressed by um, her bouncing her legs. And, and so I worked out how to report that stuff. And, and it was really helpful because mm-hmm. I actually, you know, I had to write about Reggie Tub. <clears throat> Unfortunately, I've still got the report, but it's only like a three lines because back then we only did internal reports. Anyway, sorry. I, um digressing oh
3: it's great um okay so i think we could speak with you all day long um but i'm going to ask our final question so how would you like to redefine the journey of dementia for the people that you work with and through your work and your practices
2: wow (laughs) um well for the people i work with i i how to how to redefine it um I think that it's important and I'm surprised at how little either people know about dementia that work in the sector or what they lose sight of and that is what as I said earlier that people live in intuitive space in this intuitive thinking and it's really important to understand that they are really operating on what they're feeling Mm-hmm. um whether that's dementia is is early mm-hmm. cognitive mild cognitive decline or latter uh, but particularly if we're talking about loneliness and depression as well um so i'd like to see people also be aware that it's important how we speak to people and that we slow down because we throw a lot of data at people and we ask a lot i've heard people really nice ask what would you like for lunch would you like the fish or the or, or the chicken the fish mm-hmm. or the chicken and they're still going, what would you like for lunch? They're still processing that. And now there's <laughs> these other commands. Judy Cornish said a beautiful one. Mm-hmm. She said, um, go into your room and put your shoes and socks on. And Judy was explaining that, you know, you've just said three things. Go into your room, put your shoes and socks on. And not only that, you've told them to put their shoes on before their socks. It's, so you've done mm-hmm. it in the wrong order. Yeah, um, yeah. And so it's about letting people process process mm. what what you're asking them them to do. Mm. And I would really like to see people know more about the person they're with. It's it's not enough to go in and say, "Oh, how about those Newcastle Knights on the weekend?" to someone that doesn't really care about the Newcastle Knights. It's important mm. to know about about them. Um and I'm thinking for the for the broader community and for the world what I'd like to see happen
3: mm-hmm.
2: with mm. dementia. I'd really like to see us rethink about how we think about age, because I think we worship youth. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't worship youth. We should celebrate youth. Mm -hmm. But I think ageism has got some serious, serious, serious questions to answer for the way the world is now. We, We kind of put our elders away and they used to sit at the head of community and they used to be, the lived experience, and the, so there was wisdom. And even if the wisdom, if the wisdom wasn't so, really what you wanted, or you know, I, I know maybe not everyone's wise, but whenever mm-hmm. everyone's has experience, and having that mm-hmm. lived experience is really valuable. And I think as a society, we've really lost touch with our our elders and their place. Mm-hmm. And as I become an elder and get closer and closer to that, you know, I I kind of worried that you know that I'm going to find myself on the scrap heap, and I'm not going to sit in that spot where i place my my elders and mm. i'd really like for us all our workers and our world to try and find a bit more time i don't know how you do that but i think that i watch i watch my elders as everyone's frantically running around trying to carry out their tasks and you could see them looking and being baffled okay well oh, they're very busy today aren't they and you just think, wow, these people had so, their, t- their sense of time was so different.
3: Mm. And
2: and so now they're in this really fast, the world spins. Bill Thomas talks about the world spinning faster and faster and faster. Yeah. And I think it's time to, to, to slow it down.
1: Wow. <sighs> that is an amazing answer. Oh.
2: Really? Yeah, I thought, bit, I thought it was a bit ordinary. I was thinking I'll let you down. It's a bit ordinary. No, no
1: nothing a about fun. this um, last <laughs> hour and a half. It's been <laughs> ordinary. It's been amazing. Yeah. Um, so oh, thank, I, you. That's, um, not, thank you. No, thank you. Oh like so, Maury. I, I mean, I, we literally jumped right in, and we had to like start hitting record because of all the gold of what you were sharing. But, um, so Ashley, and I just want to, we want to say thank you for being here for the podcast. Um, it's, um, it's going to be really special to have this, uh, this, um, episode, because I think what I appreciated, um, the most about, you know, a lot of your comments, I mean, your stories are just so moving for one, but, um, I think that a lot of times people who Um, maybe don't do the type of work that we have done like throughout our our careers Mm. Um, the term meaningful engagement tends to be a bit elusive in terms of what So Mm. I really appreciated that you gave so many very profound examples of what that actually looks like but also Mm. going through the structure a little bit and like just giving a little bit of you know again the method behind that that skill and and what you did so I just I think this has been a really practical episode too even though it's been mostly just profoundly moving <laughs> oh
2: wow thank you
1: yeah and we, we're going to work together again sometime
2: yeah yeah look I love I love what you guys I was reading about you and and um w- when your questions came through I just went oh I'm in good hands here oh, because um yeah no because the questions were very thoughtful and it was it was clear with your backgrounds and your study you know, um, that you, yeah, there was an insight there that I could, that I could sense, you know, because I, you get, um, you did get asked some questions and you really think, is that really kind of, is that really what we want to talk about? Mm. And so I was really encouraged when I got your questions and then that's why I sent you that other little piece. Mm-hmm. Cause I thought, Oh, well, you guys will be able to, you'll, you'll kind of, that'll intrigue you. So I, I was happy to send that. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much. Thank well, you so thank much you. Uh, for your, for your interest. And, and if you know like seriously if any creatives out there like particularly actors are thinking about this this line of work it it is beautiful work it's mm-hmm. very rewarding and you learn very quickly and you learn from your mistakes it's like acting you know like you learn from feedback but it is such a it is such a rich experience and um my I, I'm 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 like I'm up here like late at, and this is not unusual for me to be doing Zoom calls and, and things and working and tapping out stuff because it's so compelling. The work is compelling. And I mm-hmm. think you you guys understand that.
3: Yeah. Oh um, well, we appreciate we you. Absolutely.
1: There is really not much more to say after that completely enriching experience. When Ashley and I first joined our Zoom meeting to meet Maury Voisy Barlin, We were off to the races immediately, so much so that we had to actually rush to start recording so that we didn't miss any of the valuable insights he was sharing. This was a very different style interview from all of the others in season one of our podcasts. But that's because Maury is such a unique individual who is gifted in so many ways. His extensive experience throughout his career in working in long-term care settings and specifically doing engagement work with individuals who are living with dementia meant that we were just thrilled to be able to hear and learn from his experiences. I think I can speak for both of us when I say that we were wishing immediately that we could bring Maury to our side of the world here in Canada in order to learn from him and witness him sharing his gifts. While the conversation was quite extensive and it took many turns along the way, There were a couple of main themes that could be beneficial to anyone who is caring for someone who's living with dementia, whether that be at home or in more formal settings, such as long-term care. The first is the idea of intuitive thinking. At some point in the journey of living with dementia, there is a shift to a more feeling way of being other than a transactional way. This means that we should be authentic and genuine, and we need to make people feel safe in interactions. For anyone who is in a caregiving role, whether that be at home, in the community, or in a formal healthcare setting, this really speaks to the need to consider our own self-care. If we are operating from a place of stress or anxiety all the time, this will impact the person for whom we are caring. And it also underscores the need for us to slow down and be intentional in our interactions with individuals who are living with dementia. The other theme that was woven through all of the many examples that Maury shared is the importance of narrative and drawing in the stories of someone's life, even if those are what some may consider to be quote unquote small stories or insignificant details such as family anecdotes or inside jokes, etc. This is something that as care partner for someone who is living with dementia. You can do, and it is such a key and crucial piece of the puzzle for how someone may have an improved quality of life. Finally, Maury shared with us a bit of structure for how he approaches his work in engaging individuals and providing inclusive approaches. His concept of harvesting history, so the life story, coming from a perspective of curiosity and using the information that he learns about someone's history to weave into how he approaches his work and engaging them. Also, the practical thought of what type of approach people would need, or whether they would need routine or novel interventions, indirect or direct approach, and the idea of making the invitation to engage with him so delicious that someone would find it hard to say no. I personally was very grateful for his willingness to share his methods Because often when we're doing this type of work as professionals working in the field or as volunteers or care partners, we may think, I'm not very good at this or I can't do this or it doesn't come naturally. I think Maury being generous in sharing the structure around his methods will help all of us who listen to this episode to answer the question of now, what do we do with the answers in order to make someone's day and quality of life better? We so hope you enjoyed this episode and joining us on this very impactful journey with Maury, with all of its twists and turns. Meeting him was a highlight of our first season, and we very much hope to collaborate with him again in the future. Please do be sure to check our podcast episode page for several links to some great resources that were referenced throughout our discussion. Thank
0: you for listening to this episode of the Redefining Dementia podcast. We hope that you have found this information helpful and inspiring no matter where you find yourself in the dementia journey. Whether you are a person living with dementia, a healthcare professional, family and friend care provider, or an ally, we aspire to shift the narrative
1: and redefine what dementia means to you. This podcast was made possible by the New Horizons for Seniors program. Our music is written and produced by Scott Holmes. The podcast was produced by Jana Jones and we'd like to offer a very special thanks to our affiliates at Lifelong Inspiration and of course, to our amazingly talented and knowledgeable guests who gave of their time to share their expertise with us.